Hello and welcome to another episode of the Viva Bastardo show brought to you by the Haggerty Podcast Network. Today we have Sasha Selpanov, an extraordinary car designer. He's done uh, a car you've probably never heard of, the Bugatti Chiron. He's also happened to be head designer of Koenigsegg. So it's, it's fair to say he's got a little bit of experience designing extraordinary cars. We have an amazing conversation about those. We also talk about heavy metal, uh, his love or not of the Mura and a whole assortment of other things. So let's get into it. This episode brought to you by Haggerty Driveshare. Haggerty Driveshare is the coolest online car sharing platform around. Renting out your ride on Driveshare earns you extra cash to fund your own automotive adventures while also fueling the passion for fellow enthusiasts. Start earning today at driveshare.com or download the app. This podcast is brought to you by AeroVault. AeroVault was designed by Pete Brock, who just so happens to be the legendary designer of the Corvette Stingray and the Shelby Daytona Coupe. It's a car trailer that's made of aluminum and composite materials, incredibly efficient, incredibly aerodynamic. Uh, it's just a beautiful thing to look at also, as it turns out. Find out more at aerovault.com or call them at Henderson, Nevada at 702-843-5320 and tell them Haggerty sent you. Where are you, man? Uh, in Berlin. Oh, yeah, that's right. At home. I like the... What was happening? I was trying to understand what was happening with the poster behind you. There was something, there was something on Instagram. Is that, is, had they put that through one of those AI things and had churned that out? So it's, it's pretty nuts. I'll show you a close-up. It's actually like made of needles. Oh, no shit. I don't know if you're getting that. It's made of needles yeah, yeah, no, instead of thread it. or yarn or something. Oh, wait. Fuck, that's done with, that. that's all thread? Yeah. Oh, oh that's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. So I just got that in in, in mail and post. I, I didn't order it or anything. I, I I ordered a print of this, like a regular print for a friend. That's why it even says here, like you know, it's it's actually like you know a friend of mine called Vux, and it's for him. Right. And then you know, I got the print that I'm going to send to him, but uh, I also got this thing, which they just threw in there for free as a way to show what they can do. That's amazing. I don't get things like that for free. First time it happened to me as well. So. so, thanks by the way, man, for doing this. My pleasure. So, are we starting? Are we recording? Oh, good. Okay. Um, hello, Sasha. <laughs> Thank Hi. you for doing this again. Um, I actually wrote down some stuff. Normally, I don't write anything down, I just go, I blather. But I thought with you, you're quite serious. I should have some serious. Stuff. I should have some serious things. But before we get started and talk about your insanely horrifying, appalling, amazing, enviable car career, I want to ask you: if you, Can you explain to me what is the deal, man, with heavy metal? Oh, I don't yeah, understand it because I know you love heavy metal. I, you know, I like punk music, and I feel like that I, because I like punk, I should like heavy metal, but I, I can't get into it. So, what's the story? What is I guess it about metal, that? metal is very multifaceted. I don't know what exactly what what genre or subgenre of metal we're talking about here now, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's I guess the roots are similar to punk, right? It's about rebellion. It's about kind of non-conforming, not fitting in, and not necessarily being ashamed of not fitting in, but but being sort of you know direct and upfront and and arrogant about it in a way. So it's loud. Jeez. It's violent. <laughs> I, I like those things. 
Do you, uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say, I feel like that maybe represents you or some of those things represent you. I mean, when I see how you present yourself, man, you are, you are uh, what an old boss of mine called me. I think you may also be a pathological contrarian. Like you seem, yeah, you're very, is that, is that true, do you think? I think that could be the case. I, I do enjoy arguing. I think I even had arguing as one of my hobbies in my resume when <laughs> I first applied for a job and they thought it was funny. So I got the gig. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, you, well, well, it's, well, I, going back to that patho pathological contrarian thing, I think that um, you're, <laughs> it's interesting because when I look at the work you've done, uh, like the, that, the Genesis project, um, the, uh, and, and it, and particularly Koenigsegg seems so so much to fit who you are because I feel like what we're experiencing now in car design is a bit of a it's a bit do you know what Rococo is? I feel like that's a little bit of what we're experiencing in car design, like a, su a, a surplus of kind of vents and fins and fans and active aero and all this kind of stuff. All the, uh, and so it's this sort of orgy of bits, and you're anti orgy of bits. It seems. Yeah, it's it's like a. Uh, uh... Friend of mine called it eye cancer. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> That's good. It is. It is. It's exactly like that. <laughs> I couldn't find a better. Uh, I couldn't coin a better term myself. So I'm going to borrow it from him. It's eye cancer. Well, be before, we, before, go on. Sorry, man. Go on. Yeah. No. It's 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 also it's it's the fact that uh, car design as we know it today. I mean, car design has always been about fashion, but we've sort of taken that to an extreme now, where there is only fashion left. It's kind of. Uh, you know, it's an empty shell very often uh, these days, uh, just a candy wrapper without anything, anything beneath it. And there was always a case to be made for car design being just that. But I think, like I said, we've just taken it to a whole new extreme of zero substance and all glitter. What do you think is the, who is the poster boy car for zero? Can you, I don't know if you could say this, but who would you, I, I know I can, I'll, I can happily vent like an old man about stuff, but who would you consider as the poster boy for Zip for zero caloric uh, value. I have a very difficult time calling out names, only mainly because I know all of them personally. Sure. And the last okay. thing I want to do is is uh, start that off a, a podcast with with uh, uh, with know, a savaging. Exactly, but it's it's not fair. I think, like I said, there was there was always that in car design. Uh, I would say from Futurama, you know, from from the GM days, and yeah. there was always entertainment, and there was always fashion, and there was always you know, just the straightforward business of selling cars and that demanded a certain amount of entertainment and fashion. But today with, you know, we've learned so much about making cars over the last three, four, five, six, whatever decades. And by learning so much about how to make a, a correct car, correct, you know, in parentheses, it's, it's, it's safety and it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, the pressure to bring costs down and it's, it's, uh, ways to improve, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, logistics of production and all these things. That means there's less and less freedom. And the only thing that you can do is cheap glitter. And that's the way to get cars sold uh, by and large. That doesn't mean there are no exceptions, but the industry has kind of rid itself of experimentation and rid itself of, of uh, let's say, wacky, clumsy mistakes that are somehow cool because we know how to make a good car now. And But, but by knowing how to make a good car, we've also restricted creativity to such an extent that you are only left with a few millimeters of wiggle room and that wiggle room is used to create more visual eye cancer. 
you think we've squeezed the efficiency has, uh, of, of car design and manufacture squeezed all the interesting bits out of it? I, I don't. I think that's the that's the mainstream automotive mainstream. That's where they're at. But when I hear of things happening at those uh, uh, startups right now and little whispers here and there of what Apple may or may not be doing with their product and I think there's great potential for innovation, but let's just say that the mainstream, like everybody who wants to stay within the confines of comfortable known process, you always end up with comfortable known results. And again, again, the only wiggle room there is just chrome bits and shiny bits and, and, and yeah, basically I mean, the, the only people I might argue, um, since we, since you like a good argument, Sasha, mm-hmm. allow, let's get, let's get, let's get started. Okay. On. The, the only not. thing, uh, uh what about I would actually argue that your old your old bosses Hyundai, um, they're the, for me the only mainstream people who are really doing interesting things. What do you think about that? Hard for me because it's 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 all about uh, ups and downs and the sheer volume of work is so vast that you it's very hard to focus on something. It feels to me that cars are no longer landmarks anymore. That it's just the the quantity of vehicles being produced and designed at the same time. I, I just there is. When you, when you have a portfolio of 45 cell phones, it's very hard to make the iPhone. You know what I mean? So I, I, I don't even, I can't even follow the output of these major car manufacturers anymore just because of the sheer quantity of stuff that is being offloaded. And uh, landmark cars are, are very, well, by definition, very few uh, and far in between. And I don't know whether Hyundai or Volkswagen or when was the last time real landmark car has been delivered by by a mainstream OEM, I would probably have to go back to. Uh, well, let me think. Not to uh, uh, not to forget something important, but I don't know. Golf Mark One, Mark Four, Golf. Yeah. So, Golf Mark One was my first ever car. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful car. But I'm I'm still going to stick with Mark Four because I think that's that's a very. Uh, Do you not think the um? What about the VW um? Shit, I can't remember the name, but that incredibly uh, hyper-efficient car with the spats and the... What about XL1. Uh, XL1. Yeah, XL1. Yeah, that was Wasn't super that? cool. Love that, yeah. I, I love that car. I thought that yeah. was remarkably surprising. What yeah. other landmark cars can you think of? A lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of the guys in, in the studio where I worked at the time were involved in that project, so that was a very, uh, very much near me in a way. So uh, I didn't work on it personally, but I saw it from inception to, to completion from a corner of my eye. Very cool project, good team. It's interesting because um, having having sort of you know listened to you talk a little bit about cars and stuff, it seems only natural that you would have ended. I, actually, I don't. We should have started. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a totally shit podcast host. But I should have started off by, by explaining who you are and what you've done, as opposed to getting into it like 20 minutes later. So, Sasha, do you want to do you want to do you want me to do it? I or do you want do you want to do it? Well, it's up to you. Paper, rock, scissors. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I would like to not take uh, too much credit for things I didn't do, and and therefore. Um, <laughs> well, then and, just take credit for the things you did do. Why don't we just leave it at that? Well, I I had a I'm, yeah, I'm a big car uh, fanatic. I love I love sports cars primarily, and for someone who loves sports cars, I had a pretty uh, incredible and and uh, fun career designing cars so far. Um, I had a a, a great time. Uh, Working at Lamborghini, at Bugatti, at, at Koenigsegg most recently. I spent a, a few years at Genesis as well, uh, Hyundai Genesis. Uh, at Bugatti, I worked on the exterior of the Chiron and the exterior of the uh, Vision Gran Turismo. At Lamborghini, I was part of the Huracan exterior team. 
worked on that exterior there as well. And then at Koenigsegg, I was head of design and responsible for pretty much stuff that came out in the last couple of years. Uh, well, and also, let's not forget the Genesis um, concept. Essentia. Yeah. Yeah, the Essentia. I, yeah. I, you know what was interesting about that, man? I love that car. Uh, I'm not saying this because I'm talking to you. Um, but uh, <laughs> I thought that it was, it was and this is going to sound odd, but it, I found it was beautifully old-fashioned in its proportions. And I really love that, like it, it, this sort of long hood, the low roof line, like there was this kind of the GT Tourer thing, it, but it, it was an electric car, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was an yeah, electric car and yeah. It was, just, it was just so, I don't know, like the proportions were so, um, it, it, it reminded, do you, uh, do you know the Lamborghini Islero? Sure. Is that the kind of car you might have designed if you were around in the 70s? I was more thinking of the 250 Lusso when we were working on that project. Really? Yeah. Okay, I have a pet peeve with the 250 loose. Ready for another argument? <laughs> the front three quarters is amazing, but the back rear window where it meets the yeah. edge, yeah. Of, that just makes me crazy. Really? I, I like yeah. that a lot. You do? Yeah, I very much like it. I mean, it, it, like every other car from that era, it has a few quirky bits that, that take a bit of time getting used to. But like as opposed to the 250 California, which I'll never get used to, that that right. the Lusso is just so graceful. Uh, I love the way that that uh, rear end is low and and feels so planted, and it has such a graceful stance. It's on the one hand very athletic, but also somehow manages to be very aristocratic and non-aggressive. So there is this interesting mix of high class, but also athleticism in that in that car that, that uh, for me is is is, is really pretty. Um, Really tried to bring that onto the Essentia project, um, and then again, it's worth mentioning that, of course, I'm not alone working on projects like these. I was uh, head of advanced design for Genesis at the time. This project happened in the team that I led. Um, I did work on that exterior, you know, kind of hands-on very much. But there was a bunch of people, a bunch of different talents with us at the time, and I think it was a very good project as a result of that. And let's just jump forward to to Koenigsegg. I, I've always I I um. I once owned a Lancia Stratos for a while, for like five oh, wow. years. Uh, and <laughs> Not jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I've had all manner of, I'm, I'm, I've had all manner of strange cars, but one of the things that, and I know this is going to seem weird, but that front windscreen of the Stratos, there's, I, when, I, when I saw, when I first saw Koenigsegg, it kind of weirdly, like that little bit reminded me of the Stratos. And the thing I love about Koenigsegg, as opposed to, if I had the zillions to, to, um, to have a hypercar, I'm not really interested in them for the most part because they're just too, I feel like most of those cars you buy so you can show people you have the money to own those cars. Do you know what I mean? Like a Pagani or whatever it is. But the thing I like about Koenigsegg is it's sort of like this mobile bunker. It's got this, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like a it's like a gun turret on wheels, but in the best possible, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, in the best possible way. Um, And I and I love the kind of well. One of the things I I do love is um, I love that there's it's so um, it's aggressive, but it's in the same way that you were talking about the 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 Genesis or the Lusso. It it kind of it's not an aggressiveness that um, it's not like a pantomime uh, childish aggressiveness. It's kind of a, it's almost like a technical aggressiveness. Does that make sense? And yeah, that seems absolutely. very much like you. 
actually. I mean, it's it's, it's all quite intentional. Uh, it's none of it sort of happens by chance. Um, I do think that that uh, when when we speak about aggressive cars or aggressive looking cars, that you know what we imagine when we say those words isn't truly aggressive. It is it is just a cartoon character. Uh, that that is harmless in a way, but truly menacing stuff and truly like really aggressive in a way that can you know break sort of put um, weight behind uh, its 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 message, not just superficial, but but truly like I don't know power that is inspiring of so much confidence that you don't need to be overtly aggressive anymore. You know, there is just such a it's almost like a supreme being in a way that it doesn't need to shout anymore. It's just so serenely confident, but you kind of look at it and even without seeing it up closer in detail, just the proportions alone tell you all you need to know about how capable this this thing actually is. I don't think that cars need to shout uh, necessarily. I think that, uh, well, they don't need to do anything uh, other than be what they're meant to be, right? So if the car is, is truly powerful and truly supreme in its performance then its shape should reflect that without trying too hard so the trying too hard part is certainly what kills it for me when when cars are you know trying to appear more than you know more expensive than they truly are or more performant than they truly are it's it's this balance between sort of what's inside with what's on the outside that that either makes the product you know holistically beautiful or or makes it Kind of a confused, contrived, uh, yeah, trying too hard. It's just that in that balance, you know, between substance and form is is where where things happen. I think with Koenigsegg, it's very, uh, in a way, it's easier than with other brands because obviously, you know, Christian is is, is a is a very uh, strong character, and he's very very much uh, around. And not many sports car companies have their founder. Uh, uh, so involved in daily alive. business, well, alive, obviously. So it's it's much easier because you just you spend time with him, and and I have a a good connection with him. So we you know spend time talking about philosophy and art, or design, or music, or just just arguing about stuff. And it's just so much fun designing after that because you know exactly sort of what sort of you know person he is and what sort of person you are. It's just a very straightforward design process. You don't have to you know wonder what would the founder do if he was around you just you know text him <laughs> <laughs> well it, it, i imagine it in some ways it's much more enjoyable to work for a dictator than it is to work for a committee yes but uh, that wouldn't but apply a benevolent to him. dictator i would say that, that wouldn't apply to him i don't think he's a dictator i think this is what uh, i find a little bit similar between us we are opinionated but we're also interested in changing our opinion if we're faced with a convincing argument from the other side. There is no hesitancy in a truly, I think, in a truly uh, uh, confident and and uh, um, sort of confidence is one part of it, but also in a truly aware mind, there should be no hesitancy in changing sides. You know, when you're when you're proven wrong, or you even sense that there's potential in the other train of thought, it's it's always a good idea to to listen in and and. Yeah, I don't think he's a dictator, and I don't think that uh, I've ever worked for dictators necessarily. Well, I guess, I guess, not, well, maybe that was a poor choice of words. By dictator, I don't mean someone who only thinks their idea is the best, but I mean a singular vision, a singular person, as opposed to multiple people. Yeah, I, for find, sure. I, I, 
I find that I'm an artist and, and, I'm, and occasionally I work with other people, I collaborate with other people. And as you say, you have to be always ready to completely concede that you're wrong. And, and I take real delight when someone shows me something better than the thing I had. Mm, absolutely, because that just it's, elevates the result. Ultimately. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, you're interesting, man, because you're not, you're kind of a, an engineer and an aerodynamicist and, and a designer all simultaneously. And I suspect that all of those, all of those things go into how you think about the car, which is unlike, I'm guessing, you know, how you're talking about other people or other cars seem to be covered in frills. So you're always pair, you're always whittling. Yeah, but I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to call myself any of those things because those are just hobbies of mine. You know, I, 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 I like to read up on aero and I do like to read up on engineering and I, I, I do like to nerd out. That's just kind of a character trait. So when there's a subject that I like, I tend to sort of, you know, really dig in. Isn't deep. it satisfying to do that? To find yeah. a, I, There's nothing more joyful than finding a wormhole, a new rabbit hole you can just tumble down and Ooh. just get lost in all the minutiae of what this new world will reveal to you. Hundred percent. I love it. I think uh, nerdiness is totally underrated and should be made into some sort of a, a goal you strive for in life. <laughs> I think at this point. Well, <laughs> okay, so let me ask you this, man: What kind of rabbit holes have you been falling down recently? But like oh, non-related. Yeah, I've always had the same view. I mean, I'm 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 super into uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, science in general. I, I really like uh, uh, cosmology and quantum mechanics. I love reading about scientists, uh, you know, of the 20th century and figuring out how is it that their big revelations came to them and then reading up on string theory right now and why it's uh, uh, potentially a dead end or whatever it may be. Uh, so I do like sciences uh, and uh, that's something I'm really sort of keen on. But but again, it's a, it's, I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I wouldn't be able to write down any of the equations for you. I mean, probably some of the very basic stuff, but that's not something in depth. Yeah, but all, as, as my dad used to say, all of it is grist for the mill, as in everything you absorb ends up regurgitated out in some, and it influences how you think, how you design, how you come up with cars, all the rest of it. I, had a, I, spoke, I, I, I spoke to, do you know who Pete Brock is? I'm sure you do. Yeah. The designer. Of, so I had a, a conversation with him last week and, and I had, we had come across, he, there was this extraordinary story where he came across some uh, uh, aerodynamic research done by German scientists in 1939. That was the when the GIs got it got to Germany, they found all this stuff. Do you know this story? No. Oh, it's amazing, man. So they, they when the GIs came to Germany, they found all this information. They would make copies of it and send copies of this information to all the vet, the people they thought might be interested. So they found all this aerodynamic research. Sent they sent they sent all the German the American car manufacturers. He comes across it in the in the 50s. And in 1960, that's how he comes up with the idea, you know, Dr. Von, Dr. Cam, whatever his name was, the Cam tail. That's yeah, how it ends up on the, yeah, on the Shelby, the tail on Shelby. Wow. From this, there's this direct line from 1939 German scientist to Pete Brock. Isn't it? It's just, I, it was such a great story. But again, he was not dissimilar to you. Like he was inter very interested. He was a, he wasn't an aerodynamicist, but he was interested in it and he read about it. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to, to research and so much to learn. It's, I don't know, kind of daunting if you think about it, how little time we have to explore all those different things. Science is one thing, but but I'm also, very, well, obviously very much into metal um, and, and all sorts of underground stuff that uh, is uh, very inspiring for me um, aesthetically and, and uh, sort of as a singular kind of 
you know, powerful vision of, of what can be achieved in life. Um, yeah. Like what exactly? That was very um, vague. Yeah, it is. It is pretty vague, I guess. Uh, there's this guy um, who I'm really sort of following for a few years now. Very inspiring to me. He's Aaron Turner. He's an American uh, artist, a musician. And he was behind a very, very influential band uh, back in the uh, early 2000s called ISIS. Way before that name oh, yeah. became associated with a terrorist organization. Right. It was actually a goddess of femininity from Egypt. Um, yep. So the, they played this kind of very, very heavy, very slow churning, very repetitive, super minimalist music that for me was very impressive in the metal landscape because metal is so much about you know showing off and showmanship in general and these guys were just the most understated the most like but also by far the heaviest for what i heard back this then. is you know what this is fascinating man because what you're talking about is is your view of car design <laughs> well i'm I very mean, it's the same thing, right it's 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 not showy it's pared down it's it's kind of intellectually interesting heaviest shit ever heavier and heaviest shit <laughs> So he went on to do some other stuff too. He did he did this amazing project called Sumac. That's what he's working on right now. And and these guys are just taking it to a whole new level in terms of heaviness and also improvisation and working with sort of crazy Japanese artists and creating noise scapes and and it's just it's it has its roots in heavy music. It has its roots in metal, but it's just transcended. It's more of an art installation than it is a metal concert. You, know, you go to those shows, and it's a completely different. Um, so I'm I'm into that stuff, but it's also not on the surface. You don't just sort of stumble upon it if you're just browsing through your whatever Apple Music playlist or or K Rock, whatever. You know? So K pop. <laughs> it's not on radio. You're also in, really into K pop, Sasha. That would be a revelation. <laughs> Come on, man. I know you're a big boy band, Korean boy band fan. Come now, sir. Hasn't really clicked for me yet. <laughs> it will, trust me. When you get it, man, it's gonna change how you design cars. Absolutely. So so, um, so you designed this, the, the Jumeirah, Koenigsegg Jumeirah. Um, so it's interesting because there was a time in the 70s and 80s when people were designing four-seater sports cars-ish. The Espada, you know what I'm weirdly obsessed with now is the Mondial. For some strange reason, I'm drawn to it. You can leave the podcast now if you want to. Just hang up if, if you're offended. I don't uh, know why. It, it, has a prancing, it has a prancing horse. It's okay. No, no, no. It's not. I'm, listen, man. In all the cars I've ever collected, I've never. I've always tried to buy things that interest me and that are not popular. So I've avoided right. Ferrari like the plague. Uh, I mean, I was into massively into Group B, all that sort of stuff. Um, so why do you think there was this? What? what what made you guys say, you know, we should do a four-seater hypercar, I guess, as opposed to, I mean, I guess SUV was out of the question, right? So that, that, that car has a really weird backstory, and we're just going to spend a couple of minutes talking about it. Uh, in 2007, I think, or yeah, something, sometime around then, uh, Christian had the idea of doing a four-seat uh, hypercar. And... He even started doing some preliminary sort of sketches for it. I think they even built like a seat, uh, seating buck, you know, like a, a simple sort of proportion study for the interior of that car. And around the same time, I did this sketch of a four-seat Koenigsegg with Koenigsegg wheels and everything else. And it was a mid-engine hypercar four-seater Koenigsegg. And when I went finally for my uh, interview to Koenigsegg in 2000, whenever that was, like late 18, early 19, I don't remember now, like, Three years ago, more than that. Um, 
he showed me a technical drawing of that car and I realized I had seen that somewhere because the sketch that I made wasn't just a sketch. It had an actual technical drawing behind it that I put together. So there was an engine, there was a four-wheel drive, it had, you know, the occupants and everything was laid out properly. So I actually dug up the file on one of my old hard drives and I screenshotted the file with the original save date, which was something like April 2007, which is the same time he was sketching that out on his side. Oh, shit. Yeah. So then I said, look, Christian, check this out. And he was like... Uh, like he really sort of believes in these sort of mental connections and in a way so do i because I, I don't know what this you know what this reality is actually made of that's a big question so it was quite a weird thing that that when he came up with the idea sometime around the same time i did a this sketch of a side view of this what will eventually become the Jumeirah. so um so why not suv well because the experience of driving something that is low to the ground and and you feel you know sort of not on top of the wheels, but in between the wheels. It's just the right place to be in a sports car. You don't want to feel like you're going to tip over going into a corner. So this sensation of being totally in control and 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 uh, you know perfectly within the confines of the car, but it's always been limited to um, two people. And why can't that experience be you know extended out to a to a group of friends or, or a family of four? So the, the idea to do this project, I think, was always a no-brainer. If you think about it, every time another car company has tried to do a four-seat car, it's always been more closely related to a luxury car than to a sports car. And that has kind of been the case from Espada times all the way to Panamera or uh, GTC4, Luso, whatever that thing is called. So the, you're, talking the, you're talking about the driving dynamics in a way, right? Not just the driving dynamics. It's it's the aesthetics. It's the it's the message of the product. It's never like there's there's the you know there's the the Murcielago and there's the Countach and then there's the Espada and then there's the the Panamera. There's a divide between them. You know, they're the sure. four seaters are never quite as hyper as the hypercars of the same brand. They're just always right. they come with extra load of leather and wood and, and they're hyper-ish. Hyper-ish, yeah. And also platform-wise, they're probably closer related to road cars than they are to sort of uh, uh, um, pure blood, thoroughbred performance cars. You know, they're they're sort of delineating from the hyper sedan that they have somewhere in the parts bin, and they just make it slightly more hyper for that. Um, but what 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 I wanted to do back in the day, and what was coincidentally very similar to what Christian was thinking, I was always wondering why can't those brands make a four-seat car with effectively four bucket seats and four four-point harnesses and four, you know what I mean? Just just this extreme experience. Uh, do you remember this Espace F1 uh, concept? Yeah. Oh wait, wait, wait. The Renault Espace in the or the one with the F1 engine or the yeah, yeah. just the F1. mini version? Yeah. Oh, I know, man. I love that thing. Yeah. There's another version that with the Jaguar XJ220 engine. Right. Seen that yeah. one too. I love those things. So the Espace F1, as a kid, I remember seeing it. I think Alain Prost was driving journalists in that car, and they had this V12 straight in the in the interior of the of the car. Yeah, so it was just the coolest thing ever. And I mean, of course, Jumeirah is not like that. It doesn't have a V12 in the interior, but it's still a you know proper mid-engine car with incredible driving dynamics, and it's the closest thing you can get to a. Or it's actually faster than most two-seat hypercars. I don't know anything else that can do the kind of numbers that this thing is going to be producing. Very exciting project, and also uh, in a way a first for me because working other projects that I worked on always had a predecessor in the lineage, and this car has no uh, predecessor. This was like truly a clean sheet of paper uh, design. So uh, when I joined the company and and brought the first guys on board with me uh, to the design department, uh, we were basically just you know 
working off of a clean sheet of paper, which which was uh, which was amazing. Christian did a pretty thorough engineering development with with the team, but just simply design wise, like sculpture and 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 you know nailing the proportions and, and working out the volumes, and not having to reference a previous car in the lineage. That was a, that was a very rewarding experience. I imagine that uh, the shadow of previous work must loom large for a designer. And in a way, it must really hamper creativity because you've always got to be considering continuing that brand language, continuing that design language forward, right? Is that is that a little bit how it feels? And I would imagine with the... but and you Well, even with the Jumeirah, you have to still continue... Very the, much. And that's not necessarily what I meant. That's not necessarily what I meant. I think you always have to consider the uh, consider the brand uh, heritage and and the car has to fit the lineup and has to fit the vision of the brand and has to be part of the portfolio. That's not what I'm was talking about. I was mainly talking about, let's say you have uh, a Veyron and you're working on the Chiron. Well, yeah, there is a certain amount of freedom in that, but there's still a previous car that already has customer feedback to what works and what right. doesn't. It already has road feedback to you know what works and what doesn't and then you get all of that and then there's also you know always looming question of what are actually the carryover parts what are we going to develop from scratch what other parts we're just going to take off the shelf what other parts we're going to take off the shelf and slightly modify and make them like new but with with Jamera it is basically like you learn everything in the scope of this project there was no previous project to have learned from there is the first time you're putting the door on that car is the first time a door of that size was ever fitted to a car. You know what I mean? You learn it the hard way. There's there's collisions. Things don't right away work out. And it's just, it's rewarding because you get to experience sort of the full uh, pain and the full joy of, of figuring out everything about the car. That sounds exhilarating, man. It really does. That's fun. So you left Koenigsegg. Yeah, I left Koenigsegg. Uh, when was it actually? First of March this okay. year. And now you're in Berlin. We have a home in Berlin. Uh, we, uh, My wife and I, we uh, uh, built a little house here when we were uh, quite a bit younger. And our kids were born here in Berlin. So we kind of always wanted to go back to Berlin. And uh, um, we're very happy to be back in Germany. Ultimately, we're kind of, I guess you could say we're city people. So I, I really missed, both of us missed the life in the city. And I think I went to uh, uh, more concerts in the first three, four weeks of being uh, back in Berlin than I did in, in, well, it was COVID times, admittedly, so it's not fair to compare. But nevertheless, living in a rural sort of Swedish. Uh, what were uh, you going to see, like easy jazz, light jazz concerts? As, as you can imagine. Not just <laughs> All sorts of uh, hip hop and, and raves and, and that sort of stuff. <laughs> that seems just like, that seems you, Sasha. <laughs> You love a good rave. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, so what are you doing? What, what are you doing, doing, Sasha? I don't know. Just just uh, trying to not uh, leave any stones unturned in in my pursuit of. of uh, uh, you are. You would be an amazing. You would be an amazing politician, man. <laughs> you have mastered the art of the cloudy the cloudy phrase. <laughs> No, there is no cloudy phrase. I mean, I I went to Koenigsegg. I always wanted to go there. I was right. always a big fan. Well, didn't you, you, you emailed them when you were a kid, right? Or when yeah, well, a student at Art Center. So right. so not 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 that much of a kid anymore. But I didn't have any experience. So I emailed Christian back then, saying, "Yeah, heard about you. Heard about your company. Would you like to team up one day?" 
are you guys hiring? And he said, no, not, not anytime soon, but it would be nice to keep in touch indeed. And so we did stay in touch. So yeah, I went there. I, I learned a lot from that experience and adding it to the Bugatti thing that I did before that and Genesis and Lambo and, and BW years. And it's just, it's been a while. It's been, I think I, my first job, my first internship was 2003. My first full-time job was uh, 05. So it's, it's already been like you know, 20 years in the industry by now. But man, I mean, what a, look, I mean, I know you know this already and it's kind of, you know, ridiculous to say it, but fuck, what a career. Because you, for me at least, you've worked at places where they've been doing, and, and I, and I'm, I, it's, you know, you've had Hyundai, you've had Koenigsegg, which in some, to me at least, seems to represent so much of how you think about things and how you'd like to do things. Uh, but, you know, working on the Bugatti Chiron is, is no small potatoes either, and the rest of them. Um, I was watching a video of, <laughs> I was watching a video of you going to meet the Polestar guys. Right. And Christian's driving. And yeah. there is a moment where you are just giggling. <laughs> he clearly like steps on the gas van and you're just, you are just laughing. I mean, you, I can see like the joy in your face at being in that, in something that clearly is like trouser changingly fast. Yeah. He actually, uh, he had me drive on the way back. So that was fun. How was, how was that? Good. Amazing. It's amazing. Um, fantastic. Do you, know you get scared? Driving super quickly or relatively quickly. I did say. get scared the first time it happened, and uh, and since then it, that was so scary that nothing else seems to scare me quite as much anymore. Because I, I went a... from driving a Golf GTI to driving a Veyron, and I've never driven anything in between. So it was literally <laughs> like, here's your it's GTI. One, that's a very binary experience, man. And I'm not going to re retell the exact location or who was in the car, but whoever was in the car told me stop driving like a grandma and just floor it, and then. Soon after that, we were doing 360 or some ridiculous number like that on the on the autobahn. So, uh, <laughs> and and then when I got out of the car, I realized that was a life changing experience. I always loved sports cars, but I had absolutely no idea what driving that fast uh, actually felt like. And, and the I've also been accused of being a, a grandma. I I mean I I <laughs> so I have I I bought about six months ago. I bought a uh, an XJ220. No um, way, that's awesome. Well, because for me, man, I feel like it's interesting because I was thinking about hypercars. Um, I always wanted an XJ220. I was going to buy one like 10 years ago. I ended up getting an 037 instead. But mm -hmm. the 220 for me. That's a cool me, car too, man. That's oh, man. I mean, uh, we could, I mean, I'm happy to talk about cars endlessly. Um, I'm glad you like the 220, man. I, I was afraid when I mentioned it, you'd be like, you'd, be just, you'd say, oh, that's a shit car. No, but, no, I mean, anything that has to do with like childhood years of being, you know, for the first time indoctrinated into the world of like sports cars and XJ220, B110, sort of the, no, not the 959. I'm sorry. That's never going to be. Uh, so, okay. So here's a, here's a, here's a thought. Tell me what you think of this, man. I think that, um, I, I think in some ways, even that the 220 was the very beginning of, um, radical design in cars even though it's not such a radical shape but then when you see it in person the the idea of it the essence of it the thing of it is so unusual to me and it, and it, of all the cars even from the 90s or the i mean barring all the amazing kind of concept car stuff from the 70s um you know there's the f40 or the the eb110 or the 959 but those things were sort of evolutionary to me whereas the 220s this kind of leap into some kind of chasm of lunacy now I'm happy if you tell me I'm wrong, but I'm very interested to know what you think. We can have an argument, man. Your favorite. 
No, no, I'm not. I'm not going to argue because I feel somewhat similar. I think that oh, I love the F40 and I love the 288 GTO, but they're effectively the 308 cabins that have been brought to a more powerful condition by adding wheel, you know, stands to them and putting more powerful engines. And obviously, it's it's a different car, but the ergo of the cabin is is still from the 308 in a way in, in those cars. And 959 is very much a 911 with with you know. A, crazy complicated turbo system and four-wheel drive but it's still a 911 sort of cabin in there and in in a way the xj220 is at least from the how low slung and, and how extreme the, the 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 body of that car is probably reminds me more of a 90s Countach than anything else it's just kind of uh it's right. it's it's gone through the, the through the obligatory microwave uh, uh session you know like everything else in the 90s had to had to stay in the microwave before it was presented the pan melted a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that was there was that kind of blobby. That was that thing. That weird sort of. Uh, I mean, it wasn't really Ital design. That was a, there was that there was that brief period in the late '90s or uh, sorry, late '80s, early '90s when Ital design went off on like a mushroom-induced other <laughs> area. You know, I saw a 288 the other day, man. And okay, here's one of my pet peeves. You know, when you see someone driving a fancy car, like. This guy was driving 288, and the license plate was 288. I <laughs> I hate that because I feel like I know it's a 288, but I just want to let everyone else know in case you're unsure that I'm driving 288. Here's another. <laughs> you know, it just it kills me. But the thing about the 288, like you said, man, is I wish that it's mechanically it's a phenomenal car, and I wish they had just not been such lazy bastards and designed something that wasn't an evolution of the 308 form. I wish they just made it look different i can't say anything negative about that car because it's probably my favorite exterior of all time so is it i've just made an ass of myself basically right. you're, telling me. Okay. you're yeah. used to it you're expecting you're, you're it forgiven. you're the guy who likes the xj220 come on <laughs> i thought you said it was a good car man <laughs> now it's it, is a not, it is not on the 288 gto level no you're right you're right it's it, but but that's the fastest car i've ever owned i've never owned anything with more than like 300 horsepower um even though a lot of the stuff I've owned looks like it's fast, it just isn't. But but the 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 but the way the power is delivered in the in the two twenty is just so trouser. You know, it's like a full brown trouser situation for me. Because it's Cause a I'm turbo. Like a, it's it's a ton of turbo lag, right? Well, you know the turbo's coming on, so it's not like it's a surprise. But then it's just it's just like Thor's hammer, like it's just relentless. You know, and it, and then of course the brake. There's no ABS, no traction control, and the, the brakes are unassisted. So you have you almost have to sort of deploy a shoot Tupolev style out the back <laughs> before you you know when you want to slow down. Anyway, I don't want to talk about all that stuff. Bad. Um, so what um, what kind of what cars other than so you, you you're a Ferrari geezer? Is that is that what you're telling me? The 288 is your favorite? Um, it it always changes between all sorts of different Ferraris. Okay. What do you think of the 250 LM? That's one of my all-time favorites. I I really like the LM. It's it's really pretty. Uh, From the 250 range, I would probably have to say it's the short wheelbase most often that I'm I'm most in love with. Uh, 250 short wheelbase for me is the first car that has something like modern stance. By modern stance, I mean negative camber and wheels pulled out uh, properly. So it's a really nicely stanced car for the time. And if you compare that to sort of deflated, demotivated, uh, eager-for-nothing E-type, 
uh, stance. <laughs> oh, that's the savaging of the e timer. I thought you didn't want to say anything bad about anyone. <laughs> it's okay. That was that was like fifty years ago. Only the dead people. Maybe. Yeah, uh, you could you could savage the dead people. Well, you're right. I mean, the only reason look, I'm such a I'm I'm like, I'm a super nerd weirdo. So like, I've always preferred things that are like the thing I like about the 250 LM is it's a little odd. You know, the, the back, that flat back half is a little bit strange. And, but that weird tension to me makes it more interesting. You're right. The 250 short wheelbase is a, is, is, is a classically, like it's a, it's a, it's a classical Greek, Greek sculpture. It's yeah, it's, maybe it's a bit too mainstream. What about the 312P prototype? The Dino? Is that the Dino? No, the no. That's, that's a Formula One engine, sort of the, the, the really tiny V12. Way, well, a little bit after the 330P4. It's, it's, it's like... A lot of people say it's been pancankified because it's just so flat. I love it. It's just the meanest, flattest, like. Wait, I have to. Uh, I should. I should Google this. Are you googling yeah, 312P. it? Three twelve P. Three twelve P. Yeah. Okay. Someone, my Matt over here is going to Google and show me. Now you may have out. You may have out obscured me, Sasha. <laughs> Shit. Oh, all right. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I love that. <laughs> Thanks. That's genius. But that whole that whole kind of Lola esque shape. The, all the, the, that stuff. 70 a little bit, yeah. Yeah, that they're they're love those beautiful. things. Uh, what else? What else? What anything recent or vaguely modern appeals to you or not really? Um, yeah. Well, again, one of my very favorite exteriors, probably hard to top, is the is the second arrival of the Ford GT. So the Camillo Pardo oh. 2002 show car. Yeah, production car is gorgeous too, but that show car just like mind like blowing. Like version or, just, or not so much? Sorry, the latest one. Yeah. Well, see, the latest one is a little bit of trying too hard for my taste, but that two thousand two, two thousand four, that that thing is just effortless. It's stunning. It's beautiful. It's also got this very kind of badass masculine vibe to it. This interior is so chunky, and the wheels is just like yeah. Badass. I came very close to buying one of those uh, when they were when they were cheap in in you know in quotes. Uh, but the, I've I've always found that the GT40 for me is one of my all time favorite designs. I just I love absolutely. Just, just when I again when I was talking to Pete Brock, he was telling me how um, what's his name Eric what's his name at Lola had designed the GT40 and then Ford took it and they turned it into a totally shit car, which I was unaware of. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when Ford took it, they took it. They Brought it over there. were like, okay, we can do much better than this English guy. And they redesigned it. And then it had all these terrible aerodynamic problems. So then I, it, I, I did read a few books about it and it must have been somewhere in there. Like uh, go like hell, right? It's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. But, but here's an unpopular opinion. A Miura <laughs> is a. Excellent. Exactly. A Miura is a shitty GT40. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? I love that. That's genius. You're right. It's like well, an I, E-type I, version of a GT40. E-type right. because it has the stance messed up. It looks good in side view, but only then. Yeah, because it, it's weirdly like, um, it seems like the bonnet's too long or something. I think the track is just too narrow for the car. It's overbodied like crazy. The eight pillars are wider than the track. I mean, you can't have a car that has a cabin that is wider than the wheels. It doesn't work. <laughs> and it's, 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 you're gonna, it's designed you're gonna wake up morning when there's gonna be enraged car nerds outside your house with, with flickering torches pitchforks yeah. i've no, said I, this I, to many people already i really don't like the new right it's kind of doesn't do anything for me whatsoever i have to say I, i'm i don't dis- disagree i mean and in part again because i'm a pathological contrarian i just 
I just, I don't like, I, I tend not to like cars that everyone is frothing over. It just, I know, I just it's the most beautiful car. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I would prefer not. Um, so we're talking about uh, you, I think in, in one of your discuss discussions, you were talking about, um, choosing, like taking inspiration from animals in terms of aggressiveness for, for inspiring you to, for, in terms of aggressive cues for cars. So, What what animals are left? I don't no, necessarily I don't necessarily like to be inspired by animals. I think that's a very uh, um, I don't. It's like a level one approach. It's like if you haven't really dug deep yet, you know, you're just starting out, right. and you're like, I'm just going to look at a bunch of cats and try to make this thing like, you know, right, beautiful. No, that, that that's not how it works. I think the the thing is about cars is that because they move and because they are in a way avatars for us right so we are kind of we are inside the car and the world sees the car before they see us so there's a, little, a lot of personality projection that is happening both from us towards the car and from the car towards us there's this kind of interplay of, of personalities going on so we inadvertently end up giving cars almost They're almost alive for us, right? There's a sense that, that the car is somehow not fully inanimate, that there is a personality there. And that's it's it's because of that interplay between our own, you know, what we aspire to be sporty, athletic, fast, all-conquering, you know, and then the car is there to sort of represent that in some way. And and then of course that's why we end up relating it to animals. And and um there's one more component to it, just like an animal. You know, a car is part of this physical reality, and for it to perform well, it needs to sort of be genetically right. And by what I mean by that, it needs to have good weight distribution, it needs to be, you know, well sort of uh, planted on its wheels, it needs to be able to, we're talking about performance cars here, put, put power and torque down onto the road, and there's all these kind of physics-derived concepts that, if done right, give the car a healthy look. Right, and it's the same thing that like a top predator would need to have, you know, an ability to put torque and, and muscle power down onto the onto the surface of the of the earth, right, to be able to leap. So there's a lot of kind of uh, um, kinematic and 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 almost uh, uh, um, it's a cross between between physics and and biology that we end up seeing as a common place, common space between cars and, and, and animals, right? There, there's, there, there's some kind of genetic relation between them. Um, and, and what I like to think of is if you have just this, you know, you're sitting in a dark room and the, the, the uh, door is open and it's very light outside, so you don't see much detail, but you're being, shapes are being paraded in front of that open doorway. And if you see a top predator, you, you know, you, you right away feel like you need to probably run hide and, and protect yourself or if you see a posture of a human being you know if it's a friend or a foe right away you can right away discern whether that person is there to you know challenge you or there to potentially help you there's a lot of things that are happening with just the silhouettes and i really like to think of cars because of this animalistic connection that they have and because of this sort of relation to uh, life forms that that cars have i also like to think of them in terms of this sort of pure silhouette situation. It doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean a side view. It can be just even a three-quarter view in a silhouette, or it could be a front view as a, as a 
pure sculptural silhouette that is being backlit. So you don't see any details, but you know right away whether you're looking at something that is, you know, begging for forgiveness or, or ready to hunt you down. <laughs> it's, it's... <laughs> That's fantastic, man. I, lo I love that. There's some, so are you familiar with Brancusi? No. He's a, he's a sculptor. Uh, Italian sculptor, and he did. He, uh, you should actually check him out, man. I think you'd like him. He did. He one of the sculptures he's most famous for is the sculpture called Bird in Flight, and it's essentially the I idea of what a yeah. If you Google Bird in Flight, Brancusi, it's the idea of what a bird feels like when it's in flight. But it's the idea of it, so it's an abstract representation. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, because it's so, it's beautiful what you're talking about, man. You, you, you're, you're kind of talking not a, about design, but well, yes, about design, but about the idea of um, a kind of instinctual reaction to stance and to silhouette and to shape. But I, I overthink these things. I, it's not, I don't just, I'm never guided by just like an inspiration. I always have to like rationalize it, compartmentalize it. And I'm just like... You overthink things? Surely not, Sasha. Sorry? <laughs> overthink You overthink, surely. Well, look, but yeah, but that's the thing. I suspect that you, I think that, you know how I said earlier that I think maybe you're a bit of a whittler. You know what you know what whittling is when you when you, whittling is when you have a stick and a knife and you and you shave the end of the stick down to a very sharp point. So I suspect I, I love doing that. <laughs> so I suspect what you do is you start off with this massive kind of this ball of theory and ideas, and then you sharpen and sharpen and sharpen until you until the ideas because that, that's what I do as an artist is I I start with a a blurry concept and then I sharpen until it's until it's really pointy. And, I, and it seems like maybe that's what you do as a as a designer. Well, every project is a way to sort of get somehow closer to this target, but you always feel like you fell short, so you need another try. And, and there's always this like ambition. You know, somebody has to give you a chance to do it again. And yeah, but man, that's the that's really I find that that's the hallmark of a real artist because if you're satisfied, then you're doomed. I guess I'm I'm very happy and proud and then immediately after the moments passed i just can't wait for the next shot you know it doesn't mean i feel like i, I still feel happy but i just it counts for nothing because i just have to do more <laughs> so do you have now but that's i mean well so you 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 are you're in berlin now you 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 gave me the the sasha vague blurry cloud <laughs> Are you are you thinking about working for someone else, or is this thing you could talk about? You can't talk about. Yeah, you no, just, I can, I can say a few words. I, mean, I, I I am I am uh, together with a few friends of mine that I've done a lot of work together with them before, uh, many different projects. We will actually probably announce something more formally, but we are working together on a few uh, projects for for various car companies at the moment. Uh, some of them very exciting and hopefully to be revealed next year as well. So. There's definitely, let's say I'm running a design studio. Uh, that's that's sort of as much as clear. But I would not have left uh, my role as head of design at Koenigsegg just to run an independent design studio. I do want to build cars and I do want to expand my horizons. And I feel like I learned a little bit at Koenigsegg and a, a little bit at Bugatti and at Genesis and all these different places. And I feel like I want to apply the knowledge that I have and, and make something of it. I also feel very restricted and, and con by the confines of automotive design as a discipline. Right? So uh, I, I never was a fan of, of uh, silos in terms of approaching a project. I don't like to think of it uh, separating packaging and engineering from, from 
human factors, design from manufacturing, from customer relations. It's it's just the whole thing has to fit holistically. And I would love to have a chance to, uh, uh, you know. Uh, so is that how you is that how you're working now? You're working in that kind of freeform format. Yeah, actually, with 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 a couple of clients that we have at the moment, um, they're definitely coming uh, with with a task that is wider in scope than just here's a technical drawing and we want the best uh, looking exterior based on that technical. That's not how the projects are being uh, framed. And I, I really appreciate the fact that that they're trusting a little bit more than just uh, uh, you know the graphics of the front view to to our team right now. Um, I really appreciate that, but also just going forward, uh, I would like to grow uh, uh, more in the direction of, let's say, mm, blurring the lines that that the profession sort of has, or blurring the the, the confines of automotive design as a as a as a discipline, and then doing definitely creating cars, but creating cars in almost like an old school way, you know, where where what is it about the Golf Mark One? that is truly remarkable is it's certainly not the headlight theme. You know what I mean? Like it's just, that's not where the genius of that car is. And, and I, I don't feel like we're as car designers, we're, we're kind of entrusted with such, such big platform architecture, visionary decisions anymore. It's, it's just, it's become so confined and I'm not, I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm not, uh, striving to, to create the next golf mark one not at all i'm i'm, I'm mainly passionate what about sports the, what, cars. Makes the, what makes the golf mark one so genius for you well i really like the fact that they made the beetle and they kept making the beetle and they kept making the beetle without anyone saying let's redesign the beetle and make it look more contemporary they sort of just kept making the beetle until they changed the packaging around thoroughly and they freed up more interior space and they've created a safer vehicle and then by doing a packaging revolution They've completely reimagined the shape of that car too. So in a way, Golf is, let's say, uh, truly the second-generation Beetle, but it shares nothing with the predecessor. It's just the the revolution in terms of packaging, ergonomics, uh, production, everything warrants a different shape for the car. You were never challenged as a BW designer at the time to just come up with a fancier taillight or or a brand new bumper. It was just a big wholesale reform that that delivered this breakthrough and then they sort of just made the golf for the next foreseeable future and we're still waiting to see what what the next chapter of that story is going to be but isn't the isn't the uh isn't the panda a packaging revolution too it for sure is definitely and you could even say the mini is a packaging revolution too and i guess uh, a lot of these cars you know they, they thought of similar things when they did what they did but for me as a vw guy just because that was my first company that I worked at, but even before I joined VW, I was always a fan of this Bauhaus, Germanic kind of uh, uh, form follows function. And, and of course, the Italian cars of the era are also like that. But but just VW somehow had a special place in my heart. I was never a Fiat fan, you know, but VW, right. I could definitely relate. Are you a Dieter Rams fan? For sure. I mean, you can't, you can't not be, right? Right. Absolutely. Well, I, mean, I, I, I imagine actually there's plenty of people who are, who are not. <laughs> but if you're a nerd and into design, you can't not be. Quite right. Yeah, and then that that level of purity and that level of clarity of thought is something that I think is so often missing in car design, and it's so hard to achieve too. It's like impossibly hard, but yeah. Why do you think it's so hard to achieve clarity of thought like that? Do you think it's because um, because because I, I suspect in 
Is it because everyone's siloed, so you can't, you, you're never really having a direct conversation, you're never really working in tandem or in unison, but I'm sure there's, what else do you think? I think it's the complexity of the product that is on a whole different planet, because a car is basically, a car is a few different worlds, right? A car is a, is a, is a, is a, a mechanical object that, that, that needs to, you know, perform. It is also a vehicle for occupants that are inside, so there is a, there's part of an interior space that is more similar to, I guess, a purpose-built living room in a way than, than it is, you know, or, or a tight-fit glove. Or, and then there is the, the safety aspect to it as well. And then there is the marketing that comes on top and the competition and the sales. And it's just, if you imagine a car, it's like an intersection of so many different spheres that maybe I'm really kind of naive when I say this, but I feel in a way that that something like a MacBook or an iPhone is a, is much more clear as a, as a as a scope of its abilities you know it fits in the palm of your hand there is a uh, it's still absolutely genius and if we could make a car that sort of singularly you know minded and that that clear it would be amazing but there's just so much coming together with a car so many different disciplines there's the upholstery there's the stamping there's the composites there's the crash there is the simulations there is the aero the function, the function of a car particularly the kind of cars you make uh, is so it's so different from life and there's so many different functions so many think different things a car of the kinds you design have, has to do it has to be sculptural it has to be extraordinary it has to like i mean it has to do all the things you've been talking about but it also has to represent who you are as the buyer has to give you a visceral, you know, an incredible sense of excitement when you're driving. It has to do all these other things that a phone is, is for all, the iPhone for all its genius doesn't, doesn't have a, the task at hand that you, you, you do. Well, I think we, we tried to, to, uh, to, to go towards that, uh, towards that goal with the CC850, especially. Um, I, I, I think it was a very good, the closest in terms of project that I ever got with a team and with a company of, of sort of aiming at something that pure. Um, I'm very, very happy. I'm very proud with the result. But, you know, when we speak about Dita Rams or, or still, I don't know. I don't know whether a car can be that perfectly uh, simple, beautiful, and that to, to, to the point, that much to the point? That's a good question. I wonder, I mean, is there a car that's that simple, but that, that just kind of, that speaks really clearly like that? I'm not sure. The other day, which I really liked was the Lamborghini Code Zero. By the, Code the Zero. Japanese designer. He, he, the Japanese designer who did um, the design, the Enzo. Oh. Oh, you're talking about Ken Okuyama's work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, he yeah. inspired. Ken was a huge influence. I mean, he was a he was a, a art center department chair and a, a teacher at art center when I went to school. And my favorite class was he taught as a guest speaker car architecture class that absolutely was an eye opener for me. I, you know, a lot of the other instructors were talking about drawing cars in different perspectives and and how you should always lay out your presentation for maximum visual impact. This guy came in and just started drawing technical packages and was like, what's the difference between a three series and a Passat? Can anybody tell me? And everyone was like, well, we don't know. It's like four seat, four door. Four. No, this is, a, this is what an inline six looks like. And this is where the gearbox is. And this is how transaxle is just explaining these things. And, and then you were like, 
oh wow so that's that's why the cars look slightly different but one of them is so much more attractive than the other and then it was very very influential ken i i loved his so class and we're still man. friends we're still we're still in touch please tell him that he influenced me I, <laughs> this is the most miserable connection to ken i can think of i bought uh, a very odd car uh, <laughs> three four months ago uh, de tomaso guara it's cool so, but I, I, it's red and I hate red sports cars. With the, I just loathe it. I loathe red sports cars because I feel like <clears> you already have a sports car. Do you have to, you know, red is just like, hey, everyone, pay attention. Not it's, it's like having the name, the number plate on the back that says, you know, if I got Guara. <laughs> but so I changed the color. But then I've been, I've been, I, I've always loved what he did with the Code Zero, the Lamborghini. And one of the things I thought was just from, and look, I'm a totally shallow bastard, man. So I know nothing about how cars work and the packaging, although I'm, Talking to you, it's actually fascinating because, well, anyway, but anyway, one of the things he did on the Code Zero, other than the fact that, <laughs> I know, sorry, I went down a wormhole, is that he designed, the car was silver on the outside, but then he had, he, the inside, the door jams, all that stuff was green. And right. I thought that was so interesting. It was kind of like an English suit where you have a, you know, it's a gray suit, but then you have a mm -hmm. silk, a pink silk lining. I thought that's interesting. No one's done that. No one really does that. And then you guys did it on the Jamera. Isn't that what oh, you yeah, we had this yellow, bright. Yeah, which I loved. Oh, I loved it. I loved those those colors. Uh, anyway, so I did the same thing on the Guara. I have a yellow. I did the inside of the doors yellow. It's a mis. You know what? It's a miserably sad and pathetic story. I'm just going to stop telling the story immediately because you knew him. And I also I want to talk about the idea of uh, the architecture of things or the packaging of things because it's really something you don't. That as a as a car fiend, I never think about. Um, but it's interesting when you talk about that's how those cars feel different inside because the inside experience is so important and, and the inside experience is dictated by how things are laid out mechanically, right? Yeah, I guess I would even say more than that. Basically, outside of packaging, nothing makes sense. Like this is, this is the only thing that is truly of value in, in, in terms of you know, getting a good car or getting a bad car. I, I don't know whether the most talented, the most skilled, the most amazing car designer in the world can make a car look better than its package, you know, uh, worse than its package for sure. You could definitely not use the opportunities that the package provides and end up with a turd when you had the potential for something truly beautiful. But you can never outperform the package in a way, you know, if the limitations that that, that thing sets for you are, are there. It's like cutting a suit in a way, you know, of course you can make it look great, or you could make it look really bad, but you can sort of you you can't jump higher than your own head in a way. You know that's that that's the ultimate. And if you really want to create the best possible cars, you have to really get you know your hands dirty with engineering and with packaging, with squeezing every last bit of of uh, uh, let's say opportunity space out of that package. Well, all that goes to goes to your point about not working in silos because presumably and look I, I i have no experience as a car designer but i would, is it in a larger company i would assume and tell me if i'm wrong that you are you presented with a package and then you have to clothe it is that how that works yeah very often very very often that's the case um i would say 90 percent of the times 95 percent, and then this the, the scope of freedom that you have is sometimes so restrictive where you'll get told that Although you've cleared every single uh, engineering lineup uh, up till this date, unfortunately, the hallway that they use for uh, in the in the in the factory, uh, well, where they unload the 
bumpers that just arrived from the bumper factory is this particular width and the bumper that you've designed doesn't fit through that particular tight spot of that particular hallway. So you will have to redesign and come up with a different set of cut lines on your exterior to facilitate this logistic uh, bottleneck, you know, and and then that's that's how that's how restrictive these things are. And then obviously working on on uh, uh, hypercars and and super sports cars, you'd hope that this would be different, and 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 it is up to an extent. But then only at Königsegg really was I was I witnessing and partaking in full-on freedom to come up with stuff. And that doesn't just, you know, doesn't just extend to the the shape of the shoulder or or the, you know, sculpture of the of the front fender. No, it was about grounds up. You could you could come up with an idea for something that is completely not within the scope of your work. And you presented it to the team and if you presented it to Christian and he said, look, I just something that came to my mind, it, it had any potential, it would it would happen. It would happen right away. And that, those things, I mean, when you look at the way those cars are laid out, you know that uh, uh, some of them have no gearbox as a direct drive with with a crazy torque converter, and others have seven clutch, nine speed gearboxes, and and it's just craziness of engineering uh, allows so much more exciting opportunities uh, in terms of what what a layman would consider design. But it, that's just the, the cherry on the cake. It wouldn't be there if there, the cake wasn't there. You wouldn't have a chance to do all that awesome stuff if it wasn't for that technical innovation and techno- technological freedom that that company uh, and Christian himself sort of stands for. So why did you, it sounds like it's, I mean, I would imagine it's going to be impossible to go backwards having sampled the kind of like Valhalla of automotive design. Um, go backwards to where? I mean, I'm not necessarily looking for uh, immediate employment uh, in a car company. I'm, I'm enjoying the freedom that that my current uh, uh current setup allows me. I'm still, by the way, working with Koenigsegg. I'm, I have... Uh, uh, Can you sort of, please make a car that isn't like 5,000 horsepower, man? Just once. Just for like a geezer who's a little scared of going super high, for high speed on the autobahn. Like, you know what, man? Is it not possible to make a car that's 300 horsepower that's really light, that looks amazing and doesn't cost $1.8 million? I would just just not one out for me, Sasha. I, I, can, Venmo you, I can Venmo you some money, man, today. We just crack out a quick design. We can we'll print it out three D. No, I would I would love to do that. I would love to do that. I mean, things do get a little bit more complicated with modern homologation standards when you're trying to to adhere to certain road safety norms that exist today, and be it pedestrian impact or or just in general being uh, part of a traffic that is made up of uh, three ton uh, SUVs and trucks. So the the norms have changed a little bit, and with them. Unfortunately, so has the the sort of the, the the lower barrier for what is acceptable as a size for a car. It's 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 grown. Um, you know, I, I had an experience uh, recently as a passenger in a very extreme uh, um, sort of a club racer uh, Exige uh, second gen, and it, it is incredible. I, I was absolutely in love with with that experience, but. I don't know whether we would be able to design a car uh, to that level of, of, well, to be blunt, also danger um, in, in today's car companies. You know, if you if you said, well, let's throw all that stuff out. Yeah, no airbags, four-point harness. Yeah, forget side crash, who cares? So all these things, they do end up giving you a very exciting product. But if you put that on the road today, chances are you won't be allowed to drive it. Uh, 
or the companies that, that that produce those cars don't feel like putting their their trust and their logo and their their legal department behind those products anymore. Do you think you're? Um, would you like to design uh, something that wasn't a, a, that wasn't as extraordinary as the things you've designed so far? Like a, a I guess. I don't. I don't want to say a, a normal car, but maybe one attain. You know, one for the, but one for mortals. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, what I really like is doing things that are extreme. And if it's extremely normal, I would love to do that. <laughs> you mean like? <laughs> okay, this is genius, man. I'm not coming. I'm not coming up with this as we go along. That's been a concept <laughs> in my mind for ten years now. A norm, well, what would be what would be normcore? You'd like to design something. What would be an extremely normal, like a Matt across the way flashed at me, Fiat Multipla. Like, isn't that is that not a what would be extremely normal in your mind? Yeah, an so extremely extreme normal, normal, without revealing any of the secret sauce that I came up with for this thing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so you know how like people always talk about, and I always talk about the same thing: cars being a reflection of our personality. But what if like what if you just want like a Levi's 501? You know, what if you just want like your Converse shoes? What if you just want like stuff that is normal? What if you don't want to have like a feather up your ass when you walk out of your house every day? You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> like as an English person, I always want to feather up my ass, man. <laughs> yeah, well, what if there's that one particular day when you just don't want any of it and then you just want something normal? You know, what would that look like? Well, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. What I mean, aren't, isn't like a Honda Accord normal? The Honda Accord is like you have somehow failed normal. <laughs> you've lost the will to live. Yeah, well, what if it was like really, really sort of like, I'll give you an example. How many people want a MacBook Air, the brand new one with the M2, right? A lot. But it's an absolutely normal laptop. I mean, if you think about like a child drawing a laptop, that would be it. Well, of course, it's got its fit and finish. It's got its craftsmanship. It's got its amazing... Uh, operating system and all the services that Apple provides. And it's just a beautiful product, but it isn't something that is extraordinary. It's normal, right? There's a sense of normality about stuff that they do. And what would be in a car that has that level of idiotic simplicity, no brainer, like uh, usability, but also not failing at life. <laughs> Well, one of the things, well, look, obviously this has been talked about to death, but the thing that makes so many Apple products genius, uh, and, and I feel like they used to be actually more genius and they're less genius now, was this seamless, the seamless GUI, the seamless interface, the, the, the way that you didn't have to, you didn't have to learn anything. It was all intuitive. And with cars, you then there's nothing really intuitive about cars. The, the way you interface with cars, it's just, it's a learn, you've learned the language of cars. It's not that they learn, they don't learn your language. You have to learn how... You know the indicator stalk and all the rest of it, and these, and you know, there's no, there's no seamlessness to that. Is that part of what you're talking about with normal, or am I just on some crazy filled tangent again? That's a very interesting concept, but I mean, by by that by this point in time, when most of the people who intend on driving already know how to drive, it's also dangerous to break those habits because, you know, outside of full autonomy, we are talking about, you know, a situation that may arise that require requires a uh, human interaction momentary and 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 uh, 
safety critical response from the driver, right? So so if you if you start to throw in curveballs like, hey, by the way, what you thought was brake is not actually the brake because it's not as clever as now we've come up with this new thing called something else. Well, but when you know an accident is about to happen, your foot searches for the brake. It has to be there. So there's there's that aspect to it too. So as opposed to Apple reinventing some of the uh, user interface stuff and annoying their customers for the first three weeks of using that new feature, and everybody gets used to it later. But there is no do or die situation when it comes to using a MacBook. But there could be a potential do die or kill others situation when using a car. So uh, I think there is a safety factor. Sorry. You want to avoid that. You want to avoid yeah. killing others in the car if possible. Uh, ideally, okay, well, yes. ideally, can yes. you reveal, without revealing the secret source, one aspect of this? This is one of the this is one of those Sasha blurry cloud statements that you're a specialist at. What, I never was before. I don't know. It just this the side of me just materialized out of nowhere. I, I brought it out of you. <laughs> uh, so one aspect of this normal idea. Imagine if that was like a car company that made like a sedan small, sedan medium, and sedan large. And they all looked exactly the same down to the last shot line, but they were just different sizes. And the only reason you'd pick the larger one is, well, because you were maybe slightly larger yourself. But there was no inherent value to size. You wouldn't say, well, I have the 7 Series, therefore I'm the king of the hill. And you with your 3 Series, you're like a nobody. No, 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 it's exactly the same car. Like, you know, having a 13-inch MacBook is no better than having a 16-inch MacBook. It's just... I, I have less space in my bag and I don't need a big screen. That's about it. It's not even Tesla, cheaper. Doesn't Tesla sort of do that? Again, not failing at life. <laughs> you know what I think answers that question? I, 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 Tesla's doing a lot of things amazingly well, but I'm not personally a fan of the looks of those cars. That's just yeah. not doing it for me because I still want, even in the most normal of cars, I still want this fundamental automotive sense for what sits well on the wheels what is proportionally sort of pleasing and and i i don't know there's just something weird with the way these cars interact with their wheels they always seem like they've borrowed their wheels from somewhere else there's just it's not i know what you mean i find it i find it upsetting when i see cars that are not well proportioned or well designed it just it just it just like irritates my OCD and I'm not a car designer man. So I can't even imagine like for someone who does it as a full-time thing, it must make you mental. A little bit, actually a little bit. I mean, the, the cars in general, um, they've been, everybody says that the wheels have gotten huge, but the wheels are barely keeping up with the rest of the car in terms of proportion. Uh, I saw like an old Jaguar, I think it was an X, what is it? I don't know, like a four door, four door, the best car ever made. That one is amazing. Yeah. No, like like a <laughs> like a classic Jaguar four four door sort of sedan slash I don't know low coupe whatever from you mean the from the uh, one from the seventies or the sixties from the seventies. Oh, I, I think those are beautifully proportioned, man. I love yeah. this. But I mean, that thing is literally one meter thirty uh, to the roof, so one meter twenty five maybe to the roof. So that's a four seat four door sedan that is lower than today's nine eleven. Well, I mean, going back to what you were saying earlier, man, I mean, it's all, you know, the, the safety considerations, pedestrian safety, all the rest, <coughs> interior passenger safety, all that stuff. Plus the dimensions of human bodies. Right. Oh, very, that's a very good point. We're much larger. We're much larger human beings than we used to be. Well, as well as we think of ourselves as much larger. <laughs> 
You mean from an ego point? Or... <laughs> right, that's true. also depending what country you're in. True. That would actually be a very interesting thing to see how people consider themselves according to different countries. Like, where's the ego the, the largest? No, but it's surprising. But I, I did work on a couple of projects for uh, in an Asian market where they just were going completely out of you know control with headroom requirements. I just kept wondering, what are these people wearing inside their cars? I mean, it's just to the point where you could literally have you know your child on your shoulders and you'll still fit inside the car. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's interesting. I, I hate no. cars where you don't feel like you're you're cocooned in a way but that's the best feeling in the car where you feel like well it's a tight space i'm i'm properly comfortable i'm not being pinched and squeezed anywhere but it's just like a tight fitted perfect glove or or like you're wearing the car yeah you're wearing the car and there's still you safety margins around you but yeah the, the 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 car i i had a an alpine a110 mm-hmm. years ago and that i that was the Really, of all the cars I've ever owned, that was the only car I felt like I was wearing it, and it was. But in, but it never. It wasn't cramped in there. It was just. I just. It was just around me. Oh, you've had some really amazing cars. I'm blown away. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you, man. Look, it's. I'm. I'm a. You know, I'm just. I've always loved cars awesome. my entire life. I've always. I've, I mean, you know, I guess in another life, maybe I'd, I would dream to do what you do. So it's as you know, owning those cars is, is as close as I can get to doing what you do. Um, so, but thank you for saying that, man. I mean, from someone of your caliber, that that matters. It's not just a random geezer. You've but done I, I really appreciate people who love cars and and, and sort of, you know, obviously, you know, if if if, if means allow, own those cars because it's it's just it's an it's annoying when they become part of museums and and cultural heritage and they're not actually being driven and not actually being enjoyed. So I, I hope that there's more people in the future who continue to do that and not as an investment, but as an actual sort of joy to themselves for themselves and for the others around them. Right? Do you, well, do you remember, do you remember the, what it was about cars that, that made you obsess over them, made you fall in love with them when you were a kid? Like the, the thing, I mean, I'm sure you get asked this question all the time, but, yeah, it's a, it's like a particular moment. I mean, I always liked cars. So my parents say that my first word was a uh, uh, car, and the second one was red. So yeah, I guess we disagree on that one. Oh no! Well, Sasha, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. <laughs> so, so, but but there, there was that. But then there was also I was I was obsessed with uh, with uh, jet fighters as a kid. Um, oh, and, me too. And then uh, uh, as as Soviet Union sort of uh, was falling apart and some little mini conflicts uh, happened, uh, I saw military in action and didn't really enjoy what I saw. So I became a, a convinced pacifist as a, as a kid already. And to this day, I have no interest in, in being near or entertaining, you know, even aesthetically thinking of those things as beautiful anymore because they are just designed to kill. And and I, And as I was going through like that sort of, realization that pacifism meant i would never become an airplane designer whatever that means uh i, I remember being uh, at my grandfather's house and he had a uh like a really old uh, 70s car magazine which again was super hard to come by in the uh final days of soviet union maybe things got opened up a little bit but prior to that you could never find those and on the last page there was a picture of uh, a 126 c2 or c3 
uh, Ferrari Formula One car. So like probably like 82, 83 years. Uh, it was, I think, uh, Villeneuve and Arnoux, but I, I can't be sure anymore. But I'd like to think it was Villeneuve. Uh, and it was this two Formula One cars sort of going down the straight. And they just looked, they were, you forget jet fighters. They looked way cooler than jet fighters because they had stance. You know, they were like, they were properly planted. And I figured like jet fighters are, were babies. Like this is, this is it. This is so much more exciting. Um, and did you the like the sound of them? Huh? It's interesting. You talk a lot about stance and wheels. Like that's a real yeah. thing for you, the way things sit. Yeah, that's, the, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's the aim of all car design. <laughs> Well, yeah, but it's also interesting. Like, I've had so many cars that you just like the either the like the I noticed in the in the in the nineties, there's so many cars the wheels are sort of inset, um, and they also tend to ride a little bit high. And then when you lower them a little bit, and they and you make the and, and this is one of my OCD things. Then immediately the car looks so much better. But it was it seems like it, but it seems like they were doing that to some degree in the sixties and seventies, and then they sort of forgot to do that in the 80s and 90s when when we had projects back in the day which were like facelifts of current cars as a vw designer i was always jokingly asking how much budget there is and saying just buy spacers and bigger wheels like that's that's <laughs> all you, know. <laughs> you just drop no, I mean, it's amazing you just do that and the car looks immediately amazing they fixed it for you done <laughs> yeah no, 100 it's, grand it's, bill please wheels are funny i remember the, the first the first um i must have been god like 10 11 um no actually a little bit older and i and i, I lit this is london in this in the early 80s i outside my house was a white aston martin lagonda and and it was just i mean you know you think about all the cars that were knocking around in the early 80s there wasn't much of great in i mean well actually there was a 928 which i loved and then there was the 635 csi which i loved and then um but God, that thing, it was just, it was a revelation to me. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's it, a ridiculous shape. Kind but, of a wedge, but, right? Yeah, but it's, but it's, you know, but it, it, I don't know. It was, I just never forgot that. And I remember peering through the window and seeing the crazy dashboard with all the push buttons and the steering wheel and the whole thing. Yeah, I know. Those are special, man. Yeah. Love well, okay. I, I'm, I want to say, Sasha, man, I, I get, I've taken a lot of your time, um, but I've really, thank you, man. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation with some excellent arguments. It, it's been a real joy, man. And, and thank you so much for coming on, man. Um, thank you, Phil. It was, was fun. You're a super, super uh, knowledgeable, a great connoisseur. So I'm very honored. To well, thank you very much. I, well, I'm, I'm the one who's honored that. And please, I, I, the best, most success, man, for you, for your new, I mean, if you're doing new stuff, I'd love to have you on in the six months or whatever. And if you want to, um, if you want to talk about it, I'd love to, man. That'd be great. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Right. It was thanks great again, pleasure. man. Thank you, Phil. Thank you, Sasha. Take care, man. Bye. We'll be in touch. Bye, man. Bye.